0: Hi, I'm Peter Keegan
1: and I'm Laura Boswell and we have the talented Mr B over there on sound.
0: Welcome to Ask an Artist, the podcast designed for artists and makers providing you with all the practical need to know advice on becoming a working artist. We'll be here to tackle everything from finances to finding a gallery, self-doubt to social media, the everyday practical stuff every artist needs to know to make a go of their career.
1: So if you cast your mind back to the days when you were at school, it's likely you'll have a strong memory of a dynamic inspirational teacher or an awful unpleasant one. Teachers can have such a pivotal impact on our lives. At best, they can start you on a new path of discovery and at worst, they can ensure that you'll never walk a certain path again. Teaching in an art class is an essential balance of subject knowledge, planning and student encouragement. So today we're going to be sharing exactly how we lead our own classes and workshops. So Peter, let's start with you. As the director of an art school, what are you looking for in a tutor?
0: Oh, it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing teaching because just because you're a great artist does not mean you're a great teacher. And sometimes the other way around, you know, just because mm. you're a great teacher doesn't make you a good artist. But I say there are three things that, that sort of uh, myself and Kimberley and the team we look for when working with other artists to come and teach with us. Uh, so number one, they've got to, they've got to be good um, you know they've got to be a good artist. They've got to know their their craft, their technique, the way mm-hmm. they work. And you know they, I want their work to be good. I want myself and people to look at their work and go, I want to do that. You know, look how yeah, beautiful sure. and wonderful that is. So you know they've got to be they've got to be good. Um, secondly, is they've got to be a good communicator. Now that's sort of slightly harder to find out. So quite often I will kind of do a bit of research to find out if they do. Teach if they do work, if they are used to giving I know talks or demonstrations, mm-hmm. sometimes I will actually go to their talks and demonstrations and be uh something in the audience and just sort of you know <laughs> listening out um i I will do their research i'll try and find students who have been on the courses to see mm-hmm. you know to get their feedback so I'm looking for someone who's clearly a good communicator, and the last one, which is i in many ways the most important one, which is the thing that's hardest, is are they nice? Are they yeah, someone you want to be with you know yes. are they are they an encourager? Are they an inspirer? Are they going to really lift you up and make you want to continue working and, and to to come back and, and learn for more? and that's that's the hardest thing to kind of get, but I think if you get that triple threat of being a great artist, a great communicator and just a wonderful person that you want to learn with, then you've got all the ingredients to be a really superb teacher.
1: Well, I think we should we should uh, hold our hands up to begin with and say that neither of us are qualified teachers in that we we're not sort of qualified to teach children or um, indeed teach qualifications for adult learners. You know, teaching is is a, a big commitment on its own, but we're teaching leisure learners. And your point about being nice, that all ties into the whole fact that the kind of people that we're dealing with, and I think probably our listeners starting out are going to be dealing with, are people who want to learn... But they also want to learn in a pleasurable place, having a a sort of positive experience while they learn. So it's not just about learning something. It's about having a day out, really enjoying themselves, that kind of aspect to it. So, you know, niceness and charisma of the teacher is really important for that.
0: Yeah, there's the, it's it's a recreation uh, yeah. p- pursuit, but you know that doesn't that doesn't undermine the fact that you know you want to learn something and get yeah. better and you're dedicated to your practice. But there's a wholeness Absolutely. to it. We're not we're not chasing when we teach, you know, qualifications, and we're mm. not chasing, uh, you know, assessments and, and giving mm. people, uh, you know, a mark at the end of the session. We're just, you know, hopefully all. Enjoying and sharing this common love of of art, and we're all trying to dedicate this time to just get a little bit better, and you know, trying to find the artist to show the student the best way to do that. I think is the key.
1: Well, I think when I, yeah, I mean, I, certainly, my goal is always to for people to be able to continue their journey on from my classes, but to leave feeling that they've they've had a really lovely day and they they've had a lot of fun at the end mm. at the end of it. And
0: it's those teachers that you will remember. I mean, I remember, mm. you know, if go back into school days, those teachers that I have really warm, fond memories, they they really elevated me. They made me want to get better because they were so supportive and encouraging. And in many ways, you feel like you're made a friend as well as a teacher. Mm. And of course, then, like, I remember some diabolical teachers who I was terrified yeah. of, yes. you know, and, and really turned me off a whole, you know, subject and area of learning, just partly to do with their manner and the way that they communicated it. I don't know if you did you have any oh, horror nightmare teachers. Yeah, well, I mean teachers?
1: Yeah, I I had a French teacher who was <laughs> she was so terrifying and so um yeah, she she was she made me feel that I couldn't possibly speak French. And so now I really struggle with speaking other languages. So if we're anywhere, you know, if I'm with Mr. B and we're out, I, I might be able to tell him what to say in French, but I won't say it. I'll tell him <laughs> because I feel I can't speak because she she was, oh, she was a very stylish Parisian lady and she just hated us all. <laughs> I think. Um, all these sort of big clumpy English girls, I think she thought were, were a complete waste of time. And so that all my life I have felt really, really awkward about God. expressing myself in a foreign language at all so it's amazing
0: yeah. how that you carry that for the rest of your life yeah, it, absolutely it, it just shows how essential because you're you're mm. as a student you're so vulnerable yes you're you're you're, you're literally willing yes. you know you're admitting i don't know what i'm doing i find this mm. thing difficult i need help and mm. that's that's a really vulnerable difficult position to put yourself in and therefore you need to treat people who are in that position very kindly and compassionately to help them on their way not humiliate them and make them feel awful otherwise they will remember it you'll be scarred for life
1: well i think also sadly too i come across students who've experienced this in in their leisure learning and i think the thing to remember is that people may not be able to do your technique or know nothing about making art when they come to the class but that doesn't mean they're not experts and perfectly skilled in other areas of their life Mm. so i think you know it's it's really important that any teacher is respectful towards the people are learning. Nobody, There is no excuse ever to make a, a student feel inadequate or stupid for not knowing something.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so before yeah, we go it's... into our, we're, we're going to share some of our, you know, our tips of things that we do in the classroom yes. and things we know yes, other yes, yes. other artists do, you know, and work very, very effectively. Before we do, let's let's just break down the types of experiences that find you and me in a in a teaching capacity, because there's lots of different ways that you and I, you know, mm. teach and communicate uh, to people. So first of all, there is, you know, what I would call the course or the workshop where you sort of have a, a group of 10 or 12 yeah, individuals like I teach for, with you for a at day. The courtyard, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you, you know, you teach two day courses and mm-hmm. up to five day courses where people come back, you know, over those series of five days and you take them on this journey from sometimes yeah. from never held a cutting tool to at the end of the day, they go home with a completely finished print that they mm-hmm. never thought was possible. So, you know, there's there's that sort of process mm-hmm. of learning, which it tends to be very in depth to the kind of more um, the smaller things, which are like talks and demonstrations which are kind of very short small one to two hour to yeah, a large so sort of group
1: of a, a sort of insight into what we do i think you do demo portraits don't you at fairs and things sometimes where yeah you're, that's you're, right yeah and it's, it's a wonderful way crap. of you know
0: uh, capturing people isn't it you know mm. you're kind of it's it, the, by nature of you standing and, and painting in front of an audience there's a natural there's a natural spectacle and, and theatrical performance element to it and people are curious and that's a you know that's a wonderful way to scoop up people who want to then learn a little bit longer by saying well I'm offering this course and so on but of course it's all about imparting knowledge in a very more casual relaxed way for those that wish to learn and those that don't well they'll walk off and not listen to you anymore
1: yeah exactly so people are dipping in and out all the time but it is still teaching it's still you know, a, a form of teaching communication. Um, and it's very important, I think. And there's the, I've done it also in a slightly more formal setting where maybe I've been in a museum or a gallery where people are interested in the technique. And are going to be looking at what I'm doing sort of more intensively. So, so it sort of has degrees of teachy teacheriness. What's yeah. appropriate in a big open fair where people are coming and going is is not necessarily right for showing people in a museum where they're really expecting a taste of maybe some of the history behind it and things like that. Yeah. So you do have and to picture teaching.
0: Are, yeah, and then that, so that all all those. Examples tend to involve, you know, a number of participants, a number of students. Mm. And then the other course, the other side is working one to one, uh, with a group, which I know both of us have done. And it's certainly something I'm doing yeah. a lot at the moment whilst we're in quarantine and lockdown that I'm doing a lot of one to one teaching, but via Zoom. So remote digital teaching to students all over the world. And of course, that's, that's a lot more specific. It's bespoke and custom made to the needs of the student and where we're going to develop and work them as opposed to being a little bit more general, uh, to the overall yes. class. You
1: really have to then um, assess what's needed and and tailor it to that particular student and their style of working, things like that. So Mm. you have to be sensitive. It's not one size fits all. It's very much a kind of bespoke thing, a one-to-one class. And um i don't I don't do them at the moment because they got to be such a monster. I had so many of them I, I kind of gave it up for a bit. But I did really like that business of of applying my skills to that person's particular needs. It was always very interesting. Um, and they could be quite different. and that's mm. sort of something that teachers need to be aware of is that why people come to learn do leisure learning is very different you know they they all have very different reasons for doing that
0: so i'm quite interested to know that do you when it comes to your you know courses and presentations and, and talks and so on do you plan them is everyone you know meticulously planned oh
1: that's that's very interesting the answer is kind of yes and no it is meticulously planned from the practical materials side and the teaching aids end of things so what i teach being printmaking is very process led it's it's quite complex there are a lot of things little steps that have to be done in the right order so mm. i like the students not to have to worry about that i like it to be like when they need sellotape sellotapes there at their elbow when they need this it's all done for them so that point of view of planning I'm really, really careful about to prepare and lay things out correctly and in the right order and stuff so that the, the lesson really flows mm. and the students can focus on their work, not on finding things and stuff like that. But in terms of how I deliver the course, um, I'm much more freeform. I have a sort of rough way that I do it each time. But I will assess the class when I first meet them and make the conversation and work out the best way of pitching the class for them. Are they all friends on a jolly day out having some fun or are they serious people who want to extend their skills? That kind of thing. So that might affect slightly how I do things in terms of what i focus on or what we explore so yeah it's a bit of a movable feast so how about you peter how do you
0: i would say very similar i have you know i it's it's essential that the setup is is right that the tools and the materials are there um Mm. so you know that that's the sort of the bedrock and the foundation for the course and then Mm. i have what for me that the most important thing is that override overriding arc of of the lesson you know what am i how am i going to start them and how they're going to you know what point do i need to make at, at specific points of the lesson mm-hmm. that will then get them from a to b to c and you know you don't want to flit and to offer something that's very disjointed and not cohesive no, no, it
1: has to be flowing but so i think I'm, when I'm, you're sorry to interrupt no, so
0: I, the way the way i kind of do that is um as simply as i if i 'm if I'm writing mm. for example, a new course, I will just write down everything that I want to convey, and I also write down what the intention is that you know, what they 're going to go home with essentially whether it 's having learned or produced, and then I sort of break it down into bullet points and saying, well, this is the mm. best way to get them from from A to yeah. c and, and and I have that as i say a, a script is a very kind of elaborate word, but i 'll have those as bullet points and i 'll write them down i 'll either memorize them or i 'll just have it on a piece of paper or in a, a notebook sort of to hand and mm. Partly, I think it's more of a comfort blanket. I just have it there in case I need it. But inevitably, but I never look at it's it. That's
1: really good. I mean, that's a really good way of doing it. I mean, I wouldn't hesitate to say to anyone who's starting out, to, you know, beginning to teach people, you know, write it all down. Mm. Visualise the whole journey of that class in your mind. And just like Peter suggests, I mean, in a way, it's not dissimilar from how we do the podcast because we kind of have bullet points and we have, a, you know, this is Peter's job. So he does all this and, and it's sort of <laughs> and it's very well organised. But it doesn't mean we're reading it off. We're actually having a conversation, and occasionally we're focusing on the the bullet points that that Peter's having a slurp, to prepare. slurp
0: of coffee every now and then when 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 yeah, the other one's yeah. not talking. And a bun. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Absolutely. so let's uh, let's share then some of the, the the actual kind of practical tips and advice that that uh, we think will be very beneficial if you are thinking of going into teaching, or even if, if you mm-hmm. do teaching, maybe ways that you can sort of hone the craft of planning the lesson to make it work a little bit better for yourself. So the okay. first thing I get, and I get a few people asking me about their thinking about considering teaching, and t- tend to be the first thing I o- always ask them is, do you know your stuff? Do you know what you're going to be teaching? Because I have been on some courses before where it's very clear that the person delivering the course is not necessarily as well versed on the subject that they're delivering. And that can be quite embarrassing for both them and the participants.
1: Well, that's right. I mean, I have to say that... You need to be calm and you need to be confident. And to be that, you have to know what you're doing. Doesn't mean you need to know everything, though, because people will always throw you curveball questions. Mm. But it's fine to say I don't know that particular detail about that paper, but I will find out for you and get back to you That's absolutely fine, but you do need to know enough to troubleshoot and solve problems and and guide people. It's no it's no good thinking you're, you' need you can be like a lesson ahead of the people you're teaching because they, mm. they will yeah you know they will find that out.
0: What what I'd advise you don't do is in, in one course I I attended is that the tutor had um, photocopied uh, books you know how to art books had photocopied a few pages handed them out to us and saying that's what you're doing. And oh, I was no. sort of like, well, no, you know, that's that's not their work. It's not even their lesson. They they copied it off a off a no, teaching book awful. and passed them out and said, "Well, you're doing that," and didn't even bother to demonstrate it. And I just it just clearly demonstrated that they have they haven't got a clue. They they're not able mm. to deliver this. So make sure you mm. know what you're teaching because if you don't, you will just lose complete faith and trust, and you certainly won't get any students coming back to you. That's for but sure. But
1: I think also. If, you, if you're if you passionate about your subject and you know it well, that passion is what's going to make it easy to teach because that's Absolutely. going to buoy up the class, get people excited and enthusiastic. Because believe me, a class who can't be bothered and, and aren't really invested is a really tricky class to teach. Mm. You want from the moment they come in to feel, oh, fantastic, how exciting, we're going to learn with Peter, I'm really up for this and you, and knowing your subject is a key part of that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So the next thing is very essential is to manage expectations. So it's yes. it's important to be clear from the outset what you're teaching and offering as part of a, a class or a talk. You know, you need to outline in advance The areas of learning, the areas of development, uh, what the person might produce at the end of it, you know, their skill level. Is it for a beginner or is it for someone who's very advanced? You know, all this needs to be done, you know, before you've even delivered the class. And by setting out those expectations, they will know what to expect and come out of it. And they will feel safe, you know, in the knowledge that this is going to be delivered as opposed to what on earth is going to happen.
1: I think you're absolutely right. And I, and my experience as a teacher is that people are absolutely fine about things, you know, expenses, rules, regulations, break times, whatever, as long as they know clearly in advance. So make it clear in, in writing when you're advertising the class, I always give everybody a handout at the beginning of the class that has all this down on paper and tell them. It doesn't mean it'll all go in, but mm. when... They query it. You can politely say to them, "All oh, right, this is what we discussed at the beginning. Here's the piece of paper. This is what's happening." Mm. But there's the sort of that that's the sort of practicalities that need to be managed. But also people will come into classes thinking that, two days later they'll be at your level, at the teacher's <laughs> level. I mean, I know, I know that sounds crazy, but I have had people who honestly think that in two days they'll be turning out a really high-quality Japanese woodblock print. So you have to explain that it's a learning process and they're taking steps on the ladder. Yes. It's not, a, it's not a, a kind of crammer that's going to turn out a perfect result because it, it can't be done in the way that, we're teaching
0: yeah and i and, and just to reinforce the reason why it is important to set this out uh, in advance what you're going to be doing is because the flip side is that if you just say well i'm going to be teaching generic stuff you'll get say 10 or 12 individuals all wanting something completely different mm. and want to go in their own different directions and that is almost impossible for you to teach professionally yeah. <clears throat> sensibly and coherently if mm. you need to be in 10 or 12 different directions for different needs so you have to be the sort of the pacemaker uh, for your for your course and say, this is what we're going to do. If you follow me at yes. these stages, stick with me and I'll take you through this learning journey. And then there will be a successful outcome as opposed to lots of failures and very disappointed individuals.
1: Yeah, I think you do have to be very clear and you do have to be quite firm. I get sometimes when I'm teaching printmaking, you get people who want to skip two or three stages ahead which mm. of course then ruins their print because it won't line up or, or whatever. So you do have to keep an eye on the class and, and make sure that people understand that it's a step-by-step process. I mean, like like you, Peter, if you're teaching a a landscape painting class, you don't want suddenly somebody who wants to do a still life or a figurative mm. portrait or something like that. You have to keep people on topic and on focus,
0: yeah, and on task as well. And I think people yeah. will respect you. The class on mass will certainly respect you for doing that as well, as oh, opposed yes. to going off on tangents. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the way that we run and structure a specific lesson itself, because there's mm. there's lots of facts and research out there, and it's it's a famous thing that I think most people know that it really people can only take in approximately twenty minutes or so of people talking before they. I'm start surprised to it's drift as much off. as
1: that to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, but I it think just talking so.
0: and waffling on for for ages, and I've I've seen this. I've been in in, in an audience, and of course, where the, the very well intended tutor is after an hour and a half heading into the second hour i've just i've done nothing i've sat and all i've had is this lecture talk at me in what is a actual hands-on workshop and of course i've mm. forgotten everything that the person has said for the first hour and a bit all i'm retaining is that small uh, little nuggets of information so it's essential just to be aware of that of, of us as humans we can take in little bits and we learn better mm. by having a bit of information and then putting it into practice and then yeah. let's have the next spot of information and then put that into practice and so on
1: I absolutely agree. I mean, I start my Japanese woodblock classes off by, as I always say to people, I'm going to throw you in at the deep end. I'm going to get you cutting straight away. Then we'll worry about designing. So Mm. I'll do a little demo. They'll do a little bit of cutting. Then we'll go back to the sort of wordy part of what's good for a design and that kind of thing. So Mm. I try and break it up with uh, a mixture of demos, one-to-one, general class facts and stuff like that. But the other thing is that I always make it abundantly clear that I will just repeat everything as many times as it's needed, and Mm. that's no problem. So I might run printing demonstrations. I might do two in the course of a class, or I might do five. It just depends on what people need. So you have to be flexible, I think.
0: A good thing I learned as well very early on is that when... The, the, one of the first things you tend to often need to teach is the materials and setting up your equipment mm. and getting easels mm-hmm. and all the paints and all the inks and that sort of stuff. And that in itself can take sometimes 15, 20 minutes. And sometimes I realized I was doing that kind of here's how you set up. And then I would go into, right, here's my first demonstration. And of course, when I said, okay, off you go, I'd been talking for about an hour, 40 minutes. And of course, when I told the students, right, off you go they have to go, right, I have to set up. And they have to remember how I started, which is to set up. And then once they got all the equipment set up, they completely forgot how they started because they got so confused. So what I did very simply was I would do it, right, here's how we set up. Off you go, and got them everyone set up so they had their aprons on and their brushes ready. Then I brought them back and said, Right now, I'll show you what to do. I show them what to do, and then when I say off you go, they can start it immediately without having to worry about setting all the materials up. So it's just little things like that by breaking it up. It's logic,
1: isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. it
0: flows so much better.
1: I mean, I have to say a lot of this comes with experience, but you're right. It's, it's keeping the flow of the lesson. And the other thing that I, I'll put in here, I don't know that it quite fits, is that you must keep that flow going. I, I get infuriated at times when I'm, I'm in classes and the tutor, whenever they speak, they stop and everything stops and it all it loses its flow. I did a, a, a fancy French meringue class once. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, for Mr. B's birthday. And um, the, the guy who was teaching the cooking, he would stop and ramble off on an anecdote or something, and the whole class ground to a halt. And then it all had yeah. to be. So you have to be deft at keeping the flow going. I mean, you do need to stop and demonstrate things and stuff, but you have to keep moving forward. Students want to learn, and they're very often very conscious that they've only got maybe two days or something like that, and they just want everything they can out of those two days. Mm.
0: Now, let's get some colour into this podcast.
1: Yes, let's. So now we have the colour master and paint wizard, Michael Harding, as our show sponsor. We're thrilled to offer you a chance to win some of his luscious pigment-dense oil paint. We've both been lucky enough to visit Michael and his team at the Michael Harding Colour Mill to see for ourselves why his paints are considered among the finest in the world. So tell us about the competition, Peter, and is there a chance I could go in for it? Because I'd love to win these
0: no unfortunately this is not for you this is for everyone listening at home so yes to celebrate this partnership we're giving you the opportunity to win over £250 worth of Michael Harding oil paints for you to play with in your own studios to be in with a chance of getting your hands on these fabulous colours simply visit our Instagram page at Podcast and follow all the instructions and if you'd like to find out more information about Michael Harding paints simply visit their website at michaelharding.co.uk
1: yeah we'll be picking the lucky winner on Monday the 3rd of August and you can check out all the competition details on our Instagram page and on our website at askanartistpodcast.com
0: now we've had our colour fix let's get back to the classroom
1: so yeah not it's it you need to keep things going but also you need to think about the learners in the room because everybody learns differently So it's no good just thinking that one way of teaching something's going to suit everybody, is it?
0: That's right. So, I, I mean, I've, I've had some experience of working in schools, both primary and secondary mm-hmm. schools, not in a teaching capacity, but in a support capacity, but by which I was able to go on some training and sort of watch some fantastic teachers at work. And one of the things I learned is that these people learn and children and adults, we all learn in different ways. And they tend to be broken down into three areas. People are either more visual, more auditory or more kinesthetic, which is, you know, they learn by getting hands on and doing yes and i think it's it's essential that as you're teaching are you appealing to all those different learners now by by nature if we're you know we're we're in the visual arts so most of the people in the classroom I think we're going to be leaning towards the visual way of learning but there Mm. are people who you know they really do they listen and hang on your every single word and you get people who are copiously writing down oh I'm a big note
1: taker I love a note (laughs) I'm not
0: I'm not and I'm not a note taker at all you see I couldn't I just uh, my brain switches off listening if I'm Mm. focusing on writing so I, I I learn by seeing I want to see how the artist pushes the paint around and how they're looking you know that's just as important and then it's that touch it's that kinesthetic and I think the research says that people mm. learn most by doing it you know they'll learn by actually physically doing it they'll remember it a lot more and they'll get better by doing it
1: that's very true I think that's very true I, you have to get people involved and doing but I, what I find is that you'll find people who just simply can't grasp it when it's taught one way and and you can it's like if you get someone who doesn't learn very well by by verbal explanations you can you can word it in many different ways but sometimes and i quite often do this it's a question of taking their hand and guiding it yeah or wrapping it around the tool or whatever so they can feel what to Mm. do so Mm. i would say that being a, if you're a good tutor you'll never make the the student feel awkward about it you'll just say oh let's look at it a different way or whatever it's never the student's fault you know everybody mm. learns differently it's your job as the the tutor to supply that information in in as many different ways as is needed you know it's mm. it's just it is it's something people should never be embarrassed about
0: no and i and i think this leads quite nicely to the thing of of, of written notes and, and, and handed out notes because i know that both you and i we provide mm. sort of written instructions and the the notes that i provide they're not massively in depth if anything they are kind of like bullet points summarizing yeah. the main important things i'm covering because what i notice is some people love to fly solo and they they just remember it and just discover it and learn organically some people like to follow a recipe and follow it point by point by point they cling on to the notes almost like a safety blanket and yeah. which I completely understand because they can see where they are and they know which is the next step and next step. So, you know, I think writing notes can be a good thing, but don't feel like you need to write a book or anthology all on what to do in an art situation. It's just purely just some prompts so people don't feel lost.
1: Hmm. Well, I also think that there's no harm in asking the student. If someone's struggling to understand a point, just say to them, you know, what did, how can I help you understand this? Is there, you know, will it help if we try it? That kind of thing. Because people generally, you know, the, the kind of people that come to our class are old enough to kind of understand, oh, I really like to try with my hands or I really mm, like to yeah. see it written down. You know, so so it doesn't hurt to ask.
0: Yeah, you know you don't you're not expected to be a mind reader on all of this. No, no,
1: absolutely not. So the other thing that that I often do and I think really works well, is to engage the class by using other by using their own work as examples and and encouraging the class to kind of get involved generally so if i'm say i'm 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 at the stage where people are doing their initial designs for a print and i'm going around and explaining to them how that design might break down into its component blocks to make a print Hmm. i'll pull in the two or three people next to the person i'm speaking to so that they can learn from that person's design how that works and it's it's looking at other people's designs as well as their own so that they can figure out how blocks work together but it's important you do that positively isn't it
0: oh absolutely I mean it's sometimes the best people to help you teach in the class are the students themselves and, and mm-hmm. having other people sometimes to explain uh, in a different way that you hadn't thought of I find you know enormously helpful but using the students to support and encourage each other and to notice good practice so the thing, oh, that yes. I, I, the thing that I often do is that I will ask the ask the class to sort of stop what they're working and to go and stand in front of a different work of art that isn't their oh, own so everyone stands in front of someone else's work and I just think mm-hmm just spend a few minutes just looking at this other artist's work and pick apart a few things you think work really well and maybe a few things that you think need tweaking or adjusting mm. and then I ask that student to say well now can you give that information back to that artist and then and, and mm. they suddenly start sharing and communicating now I do say just because they provided that feedback doesn't mean you need to take it but yeah. it just helps them look critically at something different. It helps them then look at their work slightly fresher. And mm. you get a much more kind of you know, united bond that they're using each other as a support network as opposed to purely relying on me. Because at the end of the day, I'm not going to be there in their studio no. helping them with their work. They need to sort of have that independence to work with other people to see their work more
1: objectively. I think I think you're right and one thing that I will do in every class is that I will use the students' work as examples of good practice or a good mm. example of a technique or something because if you constantly pull all your examples from your own work or from books mm. that that bar is, is is ridiculously high. It's, it's mm. you know, not to just be immodest about it, but you are the expert teaching. Whereas actually students in a class can do things, really brilliant examples mm. of ways Absolutely. of cutting or ways of painting or something. And it makes it relevant to everybody in the class. It keeps it manageable. Oh, if Sue next to me can do it, then I can do it. You know, it's, mm. it's, a, it's a nice way of managing expectations again.
0: Now, a good thing that I always try to bear in mind when I'm teaching is to balance. The, the difference between group mm. teaching and then one-to-one teaching mm. because there are times where of course you need to impart the information to everybody so a good example is someone might ask me aside oh can you talk about this that and the other and I'll politely say I will answer your question but I'm going to answer it to everybody because yes. I'm going to get asked this question three or four times and I don't want to have the same conversation mm. three or four times so think about where you teach collectively and then when it's appropriate mm. to then you know offer one-to-one advice and guidance so for example I never would give you know individual critique to an artist student's work openly to all the group listening i will kind of do that more quietly on a mm one-to-one basis as opposed to with everyone hearing so just thinking about how you balance you know giving your feedback and also stretching the class between group and that individual one-to-one is really important and
1: i think also the other thing about it is you kind of have to be aware again of keeping that class flowing so if you're managing if you're doing one-to-ones that's great but occasionally you'll get a student who loves the one-to-one and would like the whole of the (laughs) class to be one-to-one and sometimes you have to instill boundaries so if I have a student that's that's kind of wanting all my time and is constantly normally I just go to people as they need help but Mm. if that starts to happen and I feel like someone is like taking all the time, then I'll instill a kind of, I'll be with you in a minute, but I'm going to work my way around everybody in this order yeah. or something like that. You you sort of start, or I've, I'm going to have to leave you now because I have to t- talk to other people. Be aware yeah. of the fact that, you know, people don't even realise they're doing it some of the time, but they kind mm. of love having your attention and will want it all the time. So you have to be aware that that can happen with one-to-one work.
0: Yeah. And it can be often, it can be a real despiriting mood killer as well for the other people in the group. If if the tutor is spending all their time with one, one needy very person, it can really have a huge negative effect on the whole class. So just being, yeah, you're right, slightly aware of that is, is quite important to the rhythm of everything.
1: And also if you get a friend or someone you know doing one of your classes, you have to, I'm always very disciplined about the fact that I don't, Treat them like my friend or my buddy when I'm teaching because it's not fair, you know that mm. that kind of thing. I've seen classes where the tutor is off with the the friends, and right? Yes, yeah, to yeah, of the course. detriment of the and other you, class. Yeah, it's not it's not fair. Everybody no. in the class, whatever their level of ability, has exactly the same right to your attention and your skills. So you mm. have to be tough about stuff like that.
0: So let's talk about that kind of very difficult area of providing critical feedback, and and you know the best way to do it is of course providing it respectfully, because mm. I think we both you know have experienced negative feedback. I remember a, a horrific piece of feedback I received when I was at, at, um, at college, and um, I did a big painting, and I had it was a group critique, so there lots of people kind of gathered round. And the lecturer came in and was looking at the work and was critiquing it in front of everybody. So of course we were all very terrified of oh, this. Wow. And yeah. I think it was like one of the first few months uh, into the into the session. And um, it got to my turn, and and the, the the lecturer looked at my my work and stayed very very quiet. It was <laughs> deafly silence. And then he kind of turned around. And he said, "Well, let's be honest. It's effing shit, isn't it?" And I just thought, "Oh my god!" Whoa, an absolute. <laughs> slap that's around the face. Of, where did that come from? And, that you know, he went on to explain other things, which I, of course, have forgotten because all I've remembered is no, that that's... one walloping line. And, of course, afterwards, all my friends gather around and said, are you okay? And I was like, well, yeah, I'm okay. I'm just a bit surprise that, you know, that was the kind of the the response that it evoked. I thought that there are are much more appropriate ways to express yourself than saying something as brash as that.
1: Also, I mean, the, the point of criticism is to move things forward and improve things. So, it's got to be an encouragement and an open ended thing so i would always if i had to say say somebody had uh, was using i don't know the wrong color or something i would be saying well if we look at that color perhaps it's not helping what other colors could we look at you know you give them some something to move on because all good mm. criticism is really it's like taking someone by the arm and just helping them to the next step yeah yeah it's not about this what you had was an absolutely close-ended sentence this is yes. this is rubbish mm. and that's that's not not what criticism should be at all that's no. just abuse basically <laughs> i think
0: <laughs> it's it certainly felt it at the time
1: yeah, Unfortunately, uh, no it hasn't,
0: cool hasn't, hasn't scarred me too much, but I think it's, it's certainly developed my thicker skin, that's for sure. Um, yeah. But there's this wonderful th- piece of um, way that you can deliver mm. feedback. So if you, are, you know, if you are a tutor and you think, I need to tell this student mm. that this part of their work desperately needs to be you know, worked on, there's this thing mm. called sandwiching feedback mm. or sandwiching advice. And it's a clever little cri- uh, critique technique is where you mm. take a, po- a negative and you sandwich it in between two positives. So you can go up to this uh, student's work and say, I really like what you've done here. I think this area is slightly letting it down. If you could work on this, I think that would improve it. But I really yes. like the way you've done that over there. That really, yeah. really does work quite strong. And because what you've done is you've opened, you've started with a positive, yeah. you've given your constructive feedback in the middle and you've ended on a positive. So, of course, that hopefully student just feels empowered, he feels encouraged, empowered, and then feels confident to kind of work upon that piece of feedback yeah. that you've given in a hopefully very respectful way.
1: I think that's I think that's a really important... Important thing that you keep you keep it positive and you keep it moving. It's not mm. a dead ended thing that you're encouraging people forward. But I think also what I find, and I I've been teaching a long time now, is that whatever level the students at and what however whatever work they produce, somebody they always teach me something. There's always something I learn from every student, mm. and I think as a tutor that gives me a respect for everybody because I know they're bringing something to the party mm. and so if I if I have to offer feedback it's a partnership I'm learning from them they're learning from me we're moving forward so I think that's important to bear in mind when you're when yeah. your criticism is, is, yeah. is uh, you know it's just being careful but this this all ties into that that kind of how do you encourage people how do you keep them on the boil
0: yeah I think there's a few other little teaching techniques i want to talk i think is is Mm. very useful to know is is using questioning oh yeah. so you know using very open questioning like like why and how not not close ending questions but opening is is very very important and often i mean a good little trick is is um (laughs) a student may say well oh i'm I'm not quite sure what do you think i should do is what they'll yes. ask me. And I'll say back, what do you think you should do? Yes. It's- and it's, it, sounds like, it sounds like a cop out, but what it's not is is by hopefully they will then divulge which bits they think work, which bits they're not sure about. And of course, then you as the teacher then can guide them on the bits of the work that kind of need strengthening. I think it's important to hone in on the area they wish to improve on, not mm. what you should you know improve on they every every student comes in with their area they wish to develop and get slightly better i think it's easy to get distracted by trying to do everything at the same time Mm. it's better to work in those bite-sized chunks so by identifying the area they wish to improve on then you could be specific in your guidance to help them achieve that by just using a clever use of questioning
1: yeah, I mean I'll often question people about if they if they've got a problem and they've reached an impasse. Yeah, I'll often say well, well what kind of feeling do you want for the print? Do you want it to be mm. very decorative? Do you want it to be very natural? Are we looking for a tree that's stylized? Do you like realism? Do you and it, you just ask Lots of questions and the idea is that the student has like a journey through your questioning Mm. which helps them to focus on what they want because if you're just saying oh today we're doing stylized trees you will cut xyz they'll leave learning how to do that tree but they won't leave learning how to understand what their ideas are and where they want to take them so Um, it's you're absolutely right questions are absolutely key to teaching. And then the last thing is listening to the answer. (laughs) The other thing. Do listen. Listen to your students. That's really, really important.
0: And then lastly, as you, as you rightly said, is is to be encouraging, mm. be that lovely person, be that supportive, encouraging uh, tutor that people want to learn with and, and to come back to learn, you know, do some more work with. It's um, you know, it's focusing on the positives and the strengths of the mm. student and the work they've created, not in my case was focusing kind of uh, very much on the negatives and, and the areas of weakness.
1: Yeah. And I think also the, the other thing is it's, it's a lot about ego and... For me, one of the pleasures about teaching is that you, you absolutely leave your ego at the door and it stops being about you, the artist. And it's all about using all the skills you've got to coax the skills out of other people. So mm. it's not about what you know, it's about using what you know to get at what they need. So mm. I I really love that. I like that kind of letting go and and I become like a vessel for producing creativity in others. And I find that really refreshing. And it's one of the things that I love about teaching. I don't know if you feel the same way about that.
0: Yeah, it's sort of, it's... You kind of think it's about you, but it really isn't. It's not about you at all. It is about the group of individuals. Mm. You know, it's about empowering them. It's about inspiring them. You know, and Mm. it's and there's no greater feeling as a tutor when someone comes in going, "I don't think I can do this. I'm not quite sure," and they have these self doubts and they leave going, "I've learned so much. I never thought I was able to achieve that. Mm. You know, look what I've done. You helped me find a voice, a way of expressing myself. And of course, that's just that just complete fills me with you know complete happiness. And that's why you know I teach it's not about showing off and saying, "Look what I can do, and you can't it's about helping no. them d say something that they truly want to say, and you know if you can find that in yourself as a mm-hmm. tutor then you'll truly be one of those inspiring teachers that people will want to be with and you yourself will love to deliver it as well.
1: So yes, if you go back and listen to our episode with Will Francis, who we interviewed a little while ago, he was, I mean, really brief time span with me, a couple of lessons, but he went on and he's now an amazing woodblock artist. And to just have that little piece in the journey and to have sort of set him on that journey is such a privilege and something that I'm really thrilled about. And that's kind of what teaching is, I think.
0: Mm. So, Laura, then how do we summarise? What's our takeaway today for teaching?
1: So I would say that good teaching is, it's a very special combination of excellent subject knowledge, uh, careful lesson planning and knowing your students and providing the encouragement that they need to help them thrive and succeed in their goals, not yours.
0: Thank you, Laura. And thank you all for listening. Remember, you can catch up with all the stuff we've covered in today's episode and all our previous episodes on our website, askanartistpodcast.com. And thank you for all your reviews and five-star ratings. We do love getting those. And if you have an idea for an episode we've yet to cover, we'd love to hear from you. Do go to our website, askanartistpodcast.com and let us know, and that'll help us keep helping you.